0: This is no April Fool's joke. Our March membership campaign was so successful that we're extending it through the entire month of April. Enjoy 50% off the regular monthly or annual membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code nofooling, one word, to receive 50% off our regular membership price of $50 per year or $5 per month. Members receive access to bonus content an ad-free listening experience, exclusive blog posts, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community and more. This is a limited-time offer, so act now. Visit the dsrnetwork.com/buy and enter code NOFOOLING to receive 50% off. Thank you.
1: This is words matter with
0: Norm Ornstein. We've got the votes and screw the rest of you
1: and Dr. Kavita Patel. These might be some of the smaller moments, you know, with all the bombshells. Didn't catch people's eyes. Hello and welcome to Words Matter from the DSR Network. Each week, Norm Ornstein and I will talk about the issues facing our country as we head into another election cycle and what our leaders are actually saying and doing about them today. Well, Norm, it seems like we had yet again, too many things to talk about Uh, in medicine. We actually say, we actually have a term like when you see something on a slide and there's just like an overwhelming number of like cancer cells or too many red blood cells. We say too numerous to count TNTC. I would say that applies to this week as well. It feels like that every week we have an overwhelming number of topics, but I think in, Sounds, sounds like uh, it's worth hitting on some of the coverage around the debt ceiling. I don't even want to call it uh, GOP victory because that is what media is calling it. But Norm, you've uh, studied this, written about it. I know you tweeted about it. Well, welcome back. Welcome to uh, Too Numerous to Count week. And tell, tell, tell our listeners a little bit about your take. And um, I'll discuss what I've heard from some Senate, very senior kind of chiefs of staff and other Senate leaders.
0: That would be great. Um, So of course, they eked through their um, ridiculous uh, debt ceiling fix, which includes onerous work requirements, things that have nothing to do with budgets and deficits, (laughs) by one vote. And uh, it tells us everything about the House Republicans that the vote that was cast that put this plan over the top was from George Santos so the illegitimate member uh casts the vote for the ridiculous plan but uh you know as you alluded to kavita the press coverage is about how uh against all odds kevin mccarthy pulls out a victory and uh in political playbook uh, politico uh, it really reflects journalistic conventional wisdom uh in a very real way it was all of those naysayers that kept mccarthy from uh getting the speakership until the 15th ballot the right wingers like bob good of virginia now are saying oh he came through um and it was about how mccarthy was underestimated and but you know However you wanna frame this, and it's certainly legitimate to look at the dynamics of the House and how an embattled speaker somehow pulled this off. And he pulled it off, of course, by throwing in red meat to the crazy right wing. Uh, This is not about the tactics of Kevin McCarthy. And it's not about a typical negotiation between one party running the House and the other running the presidency. This is about the catastrophic consequences if we go to default for the first time deliberately in American history. And it's about a Republican plan which is aimed at bringing just that uh, consequence for uh, tactical reasons as much as anything else. And we've seen now explicitly Donald Trump and others saying, Joe Biden is going to uh, preside over the default uh, and a breach of the debt ceiling. They want this to happen, and it's partly because they know that the press corps will not play it as House Republicans deliberately send the country into economic catastrophe and turmoil. It'll be both sides. And that's where we're headed, and it is... Deeply frightening. And one thing that was that struck me uh, and that stands out in the Politico playbook response was that the uh, ultra right wing of the House Republicans are saying that they're happy with McCarthy because he says to them that this plan, this plan which would cause economic chaos if it ever passed, Uh, and enormous human pain, which would basically blow up the air traffic control system, take lots of people away from health care, from education, from housing, and eviscerate the federal government in uh, almost every uh, significant respect, including national security, that it is the floor, not the ceiling that he will insist on every element of this as a non-negotiable domain. And that leaves us in a really bad place. Uh, I wanna um, just throw a couple of other things out uh, that I reflected on back in October when I wrote about what the consequences would be of a House Republican majority. Everybody's looking now at the analogy of 2011 when the Tea Party group uh, brought us to the brink of default, but John Boehner pulled it back at the 11th hour. Uh, And of course, we know that even though we pulled it back, we got our first credit downgrading in American history, and it cost taxpayers at least $19 billion because of extra interest payments that flowed from this. But there's another place to look here, which is 2008, when George W. Bush was president, and we had the financial collapse, and his treasury secretary, Hank Paulson, and his chair of the Fed, Ben Bernanke, went to the Hill and said, we've got to do a bailout or we're going to hit a depression globally. And the leaders of both parties in both houses said yes, and the two presidential candidates said yes, and the House Republicans voted it down. The Tea Party group voted it down. Uh, Why? because they weren't, they didn't care about George W. Bush as president. They wanted to bring us to the brink. And only when uh, the Dow dropped catastrophically the next day did they come around to vote for it. So what I fear is they're going to take us over the cliff and we're going to see horrible economic consequences. And at some point after that, they're going to be forced by their own funders and voters to you know, extend the debt ceiling, but the damage, including the national security damage, the sense that America can't be trusted, the idea that we have the reserve currency of the world, it's gonna take a very serious blow and that the press corps shrugs this off to go back to the same both sides frame of tactical uh, maneuvering um, it just drives you up a wall.
1: Okay. So uh, there's so much to unpack there. And I actually have a curiosity because I now I'm kind of thinking about the 2008 Tea Party. You're reminding me, because I'm trying to make some analogies between that Tea Party and its relevance, power, etc., cetera, uh, and our House Freedom Caucus, right? Because you you are 100% correct that, uh, and I'll talk about what some of my Senate, former Senate colleagues have been saying. Um, there's There is no question that now having this kind of victory lap you know i even saw i think on um, msnbc it was like a recount of all the horse trading that kind of went back and forth between iowa and mccarthy right iowa's caucus and mccarthy on the ethanol tax breaks and things and and uh that's it's it it, (laughs) i can't help but think like it actually makes it sound like he's some sort of effective negotiator which is the complete opposite of the truth But it also set up in that narrative, like, you know, there were these like comments, you know, Nancy Mace, and we've talked about her, um, but you had Freedom Caucus members uh, who actually kind of came out and said, listen, they come back to us with anything that's watered down, like no go. And, And McCarthy knows that. And the Senate knows that. And Chuck Schumer, I mean, there is no universe where like, this has like zero, like, you know, potential in the Senate. Everybody knows that in the Senate and in the world. However, it's now put the Senate in a box. What some of the kind of chiefs of kind of the legislative directors and chiefs of staff that I know said was that this is like going to make it incredibly like you know difficult. So that it's it's incredibly difficult to do anything to actually g- deliver a package that does not create like a debt default. And furthermore. It's exactly what you said that the narrative will be that Biden reigned over like this massive, you know, global default. All the bad things that you and I have spoken about will all get attributed to Biden when even the Senate is not going to play and people don't understand those. This gets back to something that I will criticize um, the Biden administration for. Nobody understands this like bizarre world that you and I live in with like, here's like, just because something passes in the House, like, how many times have you and I been like, Yeah, good luck with that. Like, I I lived in the White House that was Democratic, Senate Democratic, House Democratic, and the House passed the ACA version. And we had to then think about, well, what will the Senate Democrats take? So nobody understands like conference committees norm and, you know, and here's like kind of the norms of like the kind of horse trading. All they see are those headlines. I really wish, and and I think this is something we'll talk about in the bonus segment because this has a lot to do with Biden's re-election and his very effective message of this is about America's like freedom. Like this is about democracy at its core. It's not about me or my party or what I think. It's about like America. That needs to come through with this debt ceiling, but it's so hard to explain. So I'm just curious your thoughts around that. The Senate, so then the other little kind of tidbit that I've been hearing on the Senate side Um, And, and you know, the senator, every Senate staffer knew that this was going to come from the House. And maybe not exactly what was in it, but it was very clear what was coming from the House. So quietly, they are trying to assemble what is a very practical thing for any staff person to do of any party, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. But they're all very concerned that because of the election and because of the 2024 Senate map, that they're going to have to make concessions that in any other year norm they would never even entertain, and that actually frightens me a little bit. Uh, but when I step back and think about it, I can understand where they're coming from. By the way, this is all kind of you know discussion as uh, Senate aides are trying to prepare their members, because it's not like the you know senators themselves are sitting and reading the fine print on what passed the House. This is while they're trying to prepare their their members, like what's happening and what they would recommend.
0: So, you know, a a couple of thoughts. First, I do not understand what the Biden administration has done with this. And this goes back to the lame duck session after Republicans took the House. Mm -hmm. It would have been clear that we were going to head towards this kind of confrontation. And I, I, I don't know whether they have a plan B. I'm assuming they must, it's gotta be something that I don't quite understand at this point, but they're treating this with a, an, a sort of carefree attitude mm-hmm. that it makes an assumption, it sure looks like, well, of course they'll blink in the end because they won't be able to countenance a default. And it's as if they have not watched the Freedom Caucus crazies right. uh, and don't understand that these Freedom Caucus people, getting back to what you were saying about conference committees, about the House and the Senate, right? they really believe that this is a floor and not a ceiling. They really believe that they can bluster this through and they will prevail. And if they don't prevail and we go over the cliff and there's turmoil it will damage Biden, it will damage uh, a big federal government and ultimately they'll be able to get uh, most of what they want. And I think some of them believe that if we do go over the cliff and there's panic, that they can then force Biden to accept the shit sandwich that they're putting forward. Yeah. And uh, I just do not get the sense that they understand this in the White House. Now, at the same time, And I think a good part of the discussion that's gonna take place there, it's about trade, it's about uh, a lot of things, but it's really because China holds so many dollars, um, how we are all going to react to what could be a global economic catastrophe, all driven by these nutcases. And what McCarthy has to know as well is that, if and when he has to come back and say, we're not gonna get what we want, any one of these radical right-wingers can then get a vote on his speakership. And he's in big
1: trouble. So do me a favor in the way back time machine, if we're comparing Tea Party, I was just trying to remember the strength And if I recall correctly, uh, and I had less of this dynamic in the Senate, there's some of it, but less of it that I remember dealing or kind of working with when I was in the White House, remind me, like if we had to make some comparisons between the Freedom Caucus and the Tea Party, which a lot of people would naturally do, I can actually point out some distinct differences. The Tea Party had much more of a kind of true libertarian, almost to a textbook kind of attitude about things. And and uh, the Freedom Caucus, as best as I can tell, just wants to spin up chaos. I mean, there's not even, I would say, a, a, like an ideological stream that I could find across from it. It's uh, libertarianism, like gone crazy. Yeah. Um, but did I also think we're dealing with different dynamics in terms of the weight, because recall, if, if you will, and tell me if I am remembering, the Tea Party was pretty distinct. And and here, and, and people kind of knew that like they can pose an obstacle just for all the procedural reasons that could anybody can pose an obstacle that mansion and cinema do, but in 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 and of itself, the Tea Party also had like some of their kind of key members, um, uh, Congressman Paul being one of them, and some others, a handful of others that they would actually always have like their negotiating shits. What I feel like is different is that one, the Freedom Caucus, I think it's technically larger by those who have associated with it. But it's not just larger it's larger like in the way that a bully dominates like a school that it is a force that even rational people kind of have to like navigate negotiate hide around including the speaker and then on top of that they like have this you know we'll burn the house down attitude you know if this is the floor not the ceiling type of thing and that is a very different dynamic so i would even just put forward that as you recall these instances before and very you know they're different i'm not saying you're telling me they're same but i don't think people understand this is a whole new level of chaos tea party i've you know this is i would actually take the tea party at this point in time because i can negotiate with the tea party i knew that that was not their floor or at least you knew that there were certain things they really had to see um or they you know they couldn't vote for it Uh, but tell me if i'm misremembering or norm if I'm accurately portraying the Freedom Caucus. And then I, I do want to get your take. Again, I do this every week just because I don't think the country realizes what's going to happen. It's not just this like global collapse. I mean, we could see, you know, the value of the dollar. I mean, maybe just do your, here are Norm Ornstein's top three things that could happen, you know, even if we have a temporary default.
0: Um. So first, if we have this collapse,
1: mm-hmm. we. Know-
0: That one of the consequences, which will be a long term consequence, is that we are going to see a significant increase in interest rates because people are going to flee dollars and look for other safer investments. That's one thing that will happen. The second is that those who hold dollars are going to take a hit. And that means a lot of countries are going to have their own economic problems. And we're already seeing globally that we have a kind of fragile global economy. This could send the globe spinning into a worldwide recession Mm -hmm. that could get significantly worse and that alone will bring political instability. At the same time, imagine if you're looking at our allies and our allies at one level are happier that we have a president who isn't blowing up NATO who isn't uh, uh, undermining South Korea or Japan. But at the same time, and we've seen this through the maneuvering of Macron and the comments, and we know many private comments by others, they're looking at the United States now, and, uh, and this has been uh, amplified by the uh, leaks, the intelligence leaks that have come from this junior national guardsman
1: Who's who's in who's in court us. today? By the way, right? Oh, today's yeah. a today's a big day in Boston, where Tashera yeah. is going to be brought into court with uh, kind of the prosecutor's case against him, which is interesting.
0: And we've seen a couple of other people in the unit who have been relieved of duty. Uh, you know, this reflects a much larger problem: a million people or more, including some who have no business having access, have top secret clearances. So if you're our allies you're thinking what secrets can we trust to the United States and now you look at a default and you're thinking the US is a clown show at this point and it's going to have itself long term consequences uh and it'll be headaches for Tony Blinken and Jake Sullivan and uh, our national security team and the president and you know the president can say trust us you know we'll take care of it but That will, uh, this is a really bad thing. Uh, Let me go back to- Yeah, go
1: back to the Tea Party comment, or at least just this Freedom Caucus dynamic.
0: Spot on. Um, The Tea Party group coming in was a motley crew in some respects. Yeah. There were libertarians. There were those who were genuinely upset with federal government and spending and all of that there were others who used it as a pretext for the cultural divides and the racism that we know has emerged. And we've seen some very good work by political scientists like Theta Scotchpole at Harvard on the Tea Party dynamic. Now, what we also know is they were recruited for these posts by the so-called young guns, Paul Ryan, Kevin McCarthy, Eric Cantor, and that Cantor and McCarthy egged them on on the debt ceiling confrontation back in 2011. But as you say, Kavita, many of them were pragmatic enough to understand how govern- government works and how the legislative process works. Now, a little bit of history. There was no Freedom Caucus back in 2011 when the Tea Party came in. Right, That was created in 2015 because the Republican Study Committee, which was the right-wing caucus that the the Tea Party people had uh, joined, wasn't right-wing enough. So the Freedom Caucus people were much more radical, and they have expanded their ranks. And frankly, the people who've come into Congress in the last four years as Republicans are ones who have drunk the right-wing talk radio, QAnon conspiracy, Kool-Aid over and over. They have no understanding about governance. They're, they are uh, theological and not ideological. They are more than willing to blow up the institution and to blow up the government and to blow up the country uh, because they think that uh, uh, you know, if you blow everything up, then they're going to be able to prevail and end up with their notion of freedom. And there are enough of them to be able to drive this process now. Right,
1: means- Enough of them, and, and they do have influence. Again, it yeah. is this psychological phenomenon because if you come out roaring out of the gate that you're not going to take any negotiation, you're not willing to listen. I mean, you know, what people don't see behind the scenes is that, you know, Nancy Pelosi, you know, would go around and try to like sit down, not with the Freedom Caucus, but she knew in the Tea Party, she knew she had to sit down. She knew she had to work it out. She would send her top aide, Wendell Primus, like there. There was actually a discussion. There is no discussion. In fact, I did talk to some House um, Energy and Commerce and some committee staff because a lot of this plays out, as as you well know, kind of at the committee level. I talked to committee staff on both sides of the aisle, and they they fear like the I mean. Some of them work for Freedom Caucus members and they fear that like the kind of process of actually achieving like government and democracy is completely implausible at this point, just implausible, which I, you know, I said like, how do you work for that person? Then that doesn't make any sense to me. I wouldn't want to spend my life working for somebody that I don't, you know, that I actually kind of have a philosophical like disagreement with. And interestingly enough, his comment back to me was, what else can we do? This is going to be the party that rules Congress. Like if we want to work on the Hill, this is what we have to deal with. Norm, that's stunning. Like that's a, well, I don't know, I don't, you know, I don't know how much credibility to give that to like a staffer on a committee who's like, you know, 27, but it's, um, it's certainly very haunting, not just daunting, haunting. haunting. Uh, and One we'll again, get, you know, yeah, please reactions.
0: On, on this front, Kavita. One is that, Uh, there are no grownups among House Republicans
1: anymore. Exactly, 100%. Nancy
0: Nancy Mace, uh, it just drives me up a wall. (laughs) She, of course, voted for this. She did this rant the other day that the Biden family was uh, engaged in uh, drug trafficking. Um, But the people we know who understand that this is catastrophic Mm -hmm. um, are not doing anything about it. It's like they're in a car Headed for uh, with um, uh, Thelma and Louise headed over the Grand Canyon, and they're just shrugging their shoulders because they're not willing to do anything about it. And if you talk to some of the Republicans who are pragmatic, who understand that the road they've taken on abortion is a catastrophic one for them, that they've that it's moved away from even this idea of let's leave it to the states, to we are gonna ban all abortions. There was this stunning testimony in the Senate yesterday by a woman in Texas who said, here's a message for my two senators, Ted Cruz uh, and John Cornyn. They wanted me to bleed to death with a fetus that was not viable, uh, and that's what you're doing, but they're not able to do anything about it. The second point is, Look at what's happening in the states and you realize that if anything, the Republican Party is headed in the wrong direction. Right. Yesterday in Montana, where every Republican in their legislature voted to ban the transgendered member, an elected member from being on the floor or in the gallery for the entire session, which means her 11,000 voters are disenfranchised because she's transgender. Then you look at what happened in Tennessee, and you look at Missouri, which is has a legislature moving to defund all of its libraries. These are the recruiting pool uh, members for the next generation of Republicans in Congress. That's
1: right. And
0: uh, it's uh, haunting is uh, the it is. most I don't think we can say.
1: Well, we're going to get into some of this with um, Biden's uh, re-election announcement in our members only section. I say this as a plug because uh, for less than a venti, I think venti, I can't remember the sizes of a latte, uh, this gives you some access to even more of what I think is a critical analysis of what's happening. But I want to stop there because you talking about Montana, we need to, I, I, we will see if we can do it next week, Norm. It just seems like, again, too numerous to count keeps happening and we want to help keep listeners up to date on all of these events. But this, um, I would say, scapegoating of like transgender to actually then, it, it, I've, I've had so many conversations both with transgendered individuals and kind of people who will like spend a lot of their time advocating for, I would say, LGBTQ rights in general. This combined with reproductive justice, combined with voting rights, combined with not, a, not an accident. And so we should talk about um, how these things are related and like the big lies are, you know, continuously and perpetuated. And I, for one, you know, even though Disney is suing uh, Ron DeSantis in the state of Florida for you know, government control reasons and things that most people don't understand. I really hope he takes it. Like, I hope that this makes something out of it because that was, as you know, that uh, DeSantis has had that same kind of posture about employers in Florida and how they carve out and make special accommodations for healthcare for persons with transgendered um, healthcare needs, et cetera. So I, I for one, want to see Disney. I want to see Mickey win and win big. And just like I saw Dominion win, wish they could have won bigger. We didn't even talk about didn't even talk about our good friend Tucker Carlson and what an absence that's going to be in society. Yeah. So we have a lot to we have a lot to cover. But I want to, as always, Norm. Uh, in not only so grateful for your insights, but somehow I feel, even though it's a little haunting, yes, I somehow feel that like talking and educating people will make that difference in pushing back against uh, what is a wave of of fear. And we saw that in the midterms. We saw that we were able. Everybody said Biden wouldn't be able to really helped bring like Democrats into office and there was no red wave. So let's hope that we can try to think about what to do for 24 and uh, even before that. But I wanna thank everyone for joining us. And as we're launching this show and this particular show, please rate, review, subscribe on any of your favorite feeds and your podcast players, and then share this episode with your friends and let them know that uh, becoming a member of the DSR network is very easy. Words Matter is a production of the DSR Network, and our executive producer is the great Chris Cottenor, and our next episode will be in podcast feeds on May. I'm going to do some math. That might be wrong. May 4th. Look to seeing you then.